Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, I'm excited to begin our summer preaching series in the Old Testament book of Joshua. And I invite you to make your way there now. Their first five books of the Bible collectively are called the Pentateuch, written by Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then the very next book is the book of Joshua. And our text this morning is Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. For many years now we have uh, taken time, usually during the summer months, away from our ongoing verse-by-verse study of a book of the Bible, and that happens to be the Gospel of Luke at present, to study the life of an Old Testament character. And over the years we have studied the lives of prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Amos, Jonah, Jeremiah. We had a great time studying the life of King David not long after I became your pastor. And you know by now that I love biography. There are many things that we can learn from both the failures and successes of other human beings. However, the thing that I want to stress about all of these characters from the Old Testament is that they are human. They're not God. They are sinners, every one of them. Sinners that God in His sovereignty chose to use for His purposes, to be sure, but sinners nonetheless. And so as I plan these biographical series, I am constantly reminding myself that the Bible is God's story. And because the Bible is God's story, we need to be asking some questions of the text. Questions like, what does this text tell us about God's nature, His character, His power, and His plan? Well, there's certainly nothing wrong with admiring godly people. I hope that all of you have godly men and women in your lives that you look up to and whose lives you emulate. Just be careful, and I'm going to remind us all of that throughout this eight-week study, that we give God the glory for whatever He accomplishes through those people. Well, with that said, we come now to Joshua chapter 1, verse 1. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful and do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading and to the hearing of His Word. Well, certainly Joshua is a man worthy of our admiration. Let me remind you of some facts about Joshua. He was born down in Egypt as a slave. 
but he was given a great name. His father was named Nun, N-U-N. He's called Joshua, the son of Nun. The word Joshua, simply translated, means the Lord is salvation. Its English equivalent, translated from the Hebrew, is the word Jesus. Did you know that Jesus' name was not an uncommon one at the time that he lived? Many people looked up and admired this Joshua, and they wanted to remind themselves that the Lord does save. Joshua was Joshua the son of Nun. Jesus is Jesus the Christ. He is the Savior, unique and different than any before or after. This man Joshua's life is a foreshadowing of the Christ who would come, one who would deliver his people and take them into the promised land. Joshua the Old Testament was handpicked by Moses to be his second in command, and he was given charge of over all the armies of Israel. It was Joshua that accompanied Moses up on the mountain as he received from God the Ten Commandments. He was one of twelve men selected by Moses to go and spy out the promised land, but he was only one of two men who came back with a favorable report, the other of course being Caleb. He was a man of great faith. He led God's people to take possession of the land that He had promised to them, and once there God used him to divide up and portion out the land to the tribes of Israel. I named my only son Andrew when he was born six years ago because Andrew in the New Testament was always introducing people to Jesus. But if you are expecting a son or a grandson, a good name you might consider is Joshua. But as great as Joshua was, the book of Joshua is not about Joshua. It's about the God of Joshua, the God that Joshua served. That truth is reflected in our outline today if you want to look at it now. There are truths about God that stand out in these nine verses that I want you to know. The first is God's people. Verse 1, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the sons of Israel. All this people, millions of them, we suspect, had been led out of Egyptian bondage by Moses. You remember that this people was the nation of Israel. God had called man out of Ur of the Chaldees, out of pagan worship, and told him that he was going to give him a land that he would show him. Genesis 12 says, The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Of course, what God was saying to Abraham, though he had no way of understanding at that moment, is that through Abraham's seed, God would bring a Savior into the world. And when God said through Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed, He was speaking, no doubt, about the coming Lord Jesus Christ. Because the greatest blessing that came from the nation of Israel is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Now what we find though as we study the history of this people, this chosen people Israel, is that God's people were not always faithful, but God always was and always is. As you read the life of Abraham, a godly man, and Isaac, his son, and Jacob, his grandson, all the way down to Joseph. Remember, Joseph was a fine young man, but his brothers were jealous of him, the relationship that he had with their father. 
And so they determined to kill him. But cooler heads prevailed and they decided to profit from him and sold him, their own brother, into slavery. He found his way down to Egypt and there the Lord blessed him and everything he did. He just kept raising him up to positions of prominence and though his life had many twists and turns, he ultimately became second in command of all of Egypt, the wealthiest nation on earth, second only to Pharaoh himself. Because God had a plan. And Joseph was part of that plan. You remember that God sent a famine to the land and Joseph's brothers were sent by their father to buy grain in Egypt. And there they came in front of the ruler of the land, their brother, Joseph. He changed a lot. They didn't recognize him, but he certainly recognized them. And eventually they came before him and he revealed that he was their brother and they were afraid because they thought surely he will avenge himself and take our lives but instead Joseph said this, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. See what Joseph understood is that God's hand was in all of this. In these seemingly random events of history, God was superintending and bringing about ultimately his eternal redemptive plan to preserve and save a people even through Egyptian bondage so that eventually he would send Christ through them. And you know that God sent a deliverer, Moses, and he led those Egyptian captives into the wilderness. But of course there they complained. They turned on Moses and Aaron's leadership. They built a golden calf to worship in place of the true God. Because of their disobedience God caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, not crossing into His promised land. And it was not until that generation of faithless Israelites were dead including Moses, that God allowed Joshua to lead them into the promised land. Look at verse 2, Moses my servant is dead. Not even Moses was allowed to go in. And there's a very important principle at play here, and that is this, God's plan never changes. And God's plans never depend on any one person or any one group of people. His will will be accomplished. The question is, will we get to be a part of it? Moses didn't ultimately get to see the promised land, nor did that faithless generation, but their children and their descendants did. There, there's a lot of ecclesiastical hand-wringing going on right now within our evangelical world and within our own Southern Baptist Convention. Baptisms are down, church attendance is down. We've seen this trend for a long time, and, and the powers that be are worried about it, quite frankly. And uh, they're, they're forming committees and subcommittees and task force to try to address the issue. What in the world is going on? How can we turn this thing around? But, but I think the beginning point is to understand that we're not God. And to be humble. And recognize that God has never depended upon any person, on any church, or even any denomination to accomplish His will. God's will is going to be accomplished in the world. That is His e eternal plan of saving a distinct group of people unto Himself. The, the question is, are we going to be a part of it? And to be a part of that, we've got to humble ourselves and, and to seek His face. That's God's people, the people that He chooses. Secondly, we see God's plan for His people. Look at verse 3. God reveals His plan to Joshua. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I have spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and the Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great 
sea towards the setting of the sun will be your territory. Well, that's God's plan in two sentences. I'm going to give you all this land. He even mapped out the boundary lines. He had, of course, promised this land to them to their ancestors. What would you call a place that God has promised to give you? Well, they called it the promised land. Genesis 15 tells us that God had promised all the land from the great river of Egypt, which obviously is the Nile, all the way to the river Euphrates in the east, which is in present day Iraq, and, and much land in between. And the only time that that land was occupied was during the reign of King Solomon, and only for a very brief time. Did you know that the nation of Israel today only occupies a very small sliver of the promised land that God had, had promised to them? But this is God's plan nonetheless. And oftentimes, along with God's plan, we find God's promises. That's the case here in verse 5. Look at God's promises that go along with His plan. He says, No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give him. Now you have to understand this was not raw land. This was not vacant land. This was land that was occupied by the enemies of God. And for them to live in this land they had to do something about the enemies of God. In fact the scriptures tell us that there were seven large powerful nations living in the land. Listen to Deuteronomy 7.1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them before you and you defeat them, then you shall utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them and make no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons and you shall not take their daughters for your sons. Now keep that and those prohibitions in the back of your mind as we study these eight weeks during the book of Joshua because you know what happened? As soon as God defeated their enemies before them, as soon as they went into the land, they did just the opposite of what God said. They started worshiping false gods. They started intermarrying with the people. And before you know it, God had to once again bring chastening on His people. Isn't that what God's people do? The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Now this was, here in verse 5, a, a general promise that God made to Israel, that you are going to occupy the land. I'm going to defeat these seven nations before you. But there is a much more specific promise, here in verse 6, that God made to one person, the man Joshua. And he reinforces it again in verse 9. Look what he says in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. In other words, God's plans will not be thwarted. But hear this, here's another principle. God uses the men and the means, and the women, that He decides to use to accomplish His will. God uses the means of individuals of His own choosing to accomplish His will. God chose this man, Joshua, to be the means by which He led His people to receive their promise. And He made Him some promises. He said, I'm going to go before you. Be strong and courageous. Verse 9, He reiterates it. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. 
Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He says, Joshua, I'm going to use you to accomplish my will. And the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now don't read over that too quickly. That may be the most important knowledge that anyone could have, that the Lord is with them. That truth is a game changer and a life changer and a church changer. Because the result of trusting God's promises is the strength and courage that God supplies. In fact, that's the title of our message today, the strength and courage that God supplies. Joshua was a courageous man, but it was because he trusted the promises and the plan of God. And we find that promise throughout the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. We had a funeral here yesterday afternoon of a young man. It's the 15th funeral we've had since April the 1st here. And every time we have a funeral, I read the 23rd Psalm because it reminds all of us of some important truths. And I think the most important truth to take from Psalm 23 is that the Lord is with us. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. The knowledge that God is with us is the greatest truth that, that you can know. The last instructions that the Lord Jesus gave his disciples, recorded in Matthew chapter 28, we know is the Great Commission. We love to quote it here. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey whatsoever I have commanded you. But we often leave out the most important part of that verse, which is, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. The reason these 12 ragtag disciples who had failed already in so many ways could have confidence and courage to go out and undertake the greatest undertaking man has ever been given, that is to evangelize planet earth, is that they trusted the promise of Christ that he would never leave them or forsake them. Psalm 18, 29 is one of my favorite verses. Mark it in your Bible. Mark 18, uh, excuse me, Psalm 18, 29. Write it down, read it later, memorize it later, listen to it. For by you, that is with God, I can run upon a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. The Bible says without God we can do nothing, right? But with God, a single person can take on a whole army. He can take on a walled city is what the psalmist is saying. For by you I can run upon a troop, and with my God I can leap over a wall. The presence of God, hear this. The presence of God in our life is the source of Christian courage. People ask you, how can you face such difficult times? You say, because I believe the Lord. He's with me. Now, fourthly, we see God's precepts. God's precepts. Look at verse 7. God has given Joshua the plan. I'm going to give you this land. You're going to occupy it. I'm going to chase out seven nations before you and give you their cities their fields. And then he, he says that uh, here's a promise to you. You're going to be the means by which this happens and you're going to need courage because I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And then he gives these precepts beginning in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success 
wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, so you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. We have a world full of people who are chasing after a spiritual experience. They're looking for a spiritual high. They're looking for some sign or wonder or manifestation to prove that that God is real. And yet, even to Joshua, God makes clear, if you want to know me and you want to know my will, find it in the Word of God. In this book, we find God's will revealed. And Joshua was told, even though, let me remind you, Joshua was there when God sent the the ten deadly plagues of Egypt. Joshua was an eyewitness when God parted the Red Sea and the nation of Israel crossed on dry land and he closed it back up upon the pursuing armies of Pharaoh. Joshua ate of that manna which fell miraculously from heaven. Joshua drank from that rock that miraculously brought forth a spring of water. And yet Joshua was not told to pursue an experience. He was told to trust the Word of God. He says, be strong and courageous and be careful to do according to the law which Moses his servant commanded you. Do not turn from the left or to the right. Years later, another great man that we have studied, King David, took pen and paper in hand and he wrote what we know today as the very first psalm. And it's almost verbatim what God told Joshua here in Joshua 1. Listen to it. He said, how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, I have likely, almost surely, preached from Psalm 1 more than any other text. Dozens of times I've preached from this. Every time I get the opportunity to speak to a college age group or high school group, I choose Psalm 1. Because it is the recipe for having a meaningful life. And David says this, The blessed man is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the path of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. That's exactly what God told Joshua to do. To meditate in the law day and night. And here's the result. David says he will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. One of the things that I dislike most about the Word of Faith movement is how they've co-opted the word prosperity. That is a biblical word. It's found both in Joshua 1 and in Psalm 1. And they have defined it to mean something God never intended it to mean. They would tell you that prosperity is driving a new car all the time or having perfect health. And prosperity is having no problems whatsoever if you have enough faith. The Bible des- defines prosperity as having a meaningful and a significant life. That is what Joshua was promised. Joshua, if you will obey the words of the Lord, it will give you courage and your life will have meaning. That's what success is, having a meaningful life in the eyes of God. And David said, if you'll follow the precepts of the Lord, if you'll meditate in it day and night, your life's going to bear fruit. It's going to have significance. But he says, if you don't, 
you'll be like the wicked. He says, the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And this is what God said to Joshua. Back in Joshua 1, verse 8, he says, The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You will meditate on it day and night, so that you will be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Well, I'm looking forward to this study of the book of Joshua. I'll just tell you, I like Joshua. He's a man's man. He loves the Lord. And what I love most about Joshua, as you observe his life, though he is human and a sinner, his life, as far as we can tell, is up and to the right on the path of holiness and sanctification. He is pursuing a closer and more intimate walk with God all the days of his life. And by the way, those were many days. The Lord blessed him with a long and a fruitful life, and he lived to be the ripe old age of 110 a man who is revered all over the planet today. He did what God instructed him to do. He, he based his life and built his life upon the law of the Lord. All of us could take a lesson from that. But I want to come back to where I started. Circle back around and remind you that when we study great Old Testament characters, we need to be reminded that the story is not ultimately about them. It is about the God that they serve. And remember I said we need to ask some important diagnostic questions of the text, such as, what does this text tell us about God and His nature and His plan and purposes? So, let me uh, conclude today by giving you three biblical principles that we're going to come back to over and again over the next eight weeks. And number one is this. In the book of Joshua, and indeed on every page of Scripture, the sovereignty and faithfulness of God is on display. You will recall, I hope, that God has declared that He will not share His glory with another. That includes you and me, and that includes men as great as Joshua. Joshua simply got the great privilege of being the human means by which God brought glory to Himself by defeating these seven nations that occupied the land that God had promised to His people. And as you read the Bible, including the book of Joshua, give Him glory for His sovereignty. That is, He is not a disinterested deity. He created planet earth, and He had a plan to save sinners that occupied planet earth. Do you know the first place in the Bible where we see God's eternal redemptive plan on display? It's only three chapters into Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, remember that Adam and Eve had sinned and they stood before God to face His judgment. And God cursed humanity with death. He also cursed the earth and He cursed the serpent. And what He said to the serpent because of His role in tempting Adam and Eve is that the seed of woman is going to be born and you will bite him on the heel but he will crush your head. He will ultimately destroy you. You know who the seed of woman is? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The first prophecy we see is three chapters into the book of Genesis. And the rest of human history is working towards the consummation of human history, which is the birth, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the means that God used to bring that about was a chosen group of people called the nation of Israel. That of all the nations of the earth, God chose one man, Abram, through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And He gave him a place to live. Why? So that ultimately He could send a Savior into that environment to be born at just the right time, to live a perfect righteous life, to go to the cross tempted in every way we are, yet without sin, so that He may die for sinners like us. And so the Bible then is not a series of disconnected dots historically. It is the revelation of God's eternal redemptive plan, and the book of Joshua is just one chapter in that. That's how you read the book of Joshua knowing that the sovereignty and faithfulness of God is on display. And so when I read the book of Joshua, I find myself saying often, praise the Lord for Joshua. But you know what the most important part of that sentence is? Praise the Lord. Secondly, God uses the means of human beings to save those He chooses. God used the means of one man, Joshua, to take all these millions of people into the promised land to receive His promises. God still uses the means of men and women today to save the lost, doesn't He? Scripture says that saving cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And Paul asked the rhetorical question, how can they hear without a preacher? That is, God's plan has always been for people who have been saved to tell others who have yet to be saved about the gospel message so that through the Holy Spirit He may save them, right? It is our task, just as it was Joshua's task to fulfill his mission during his day, just as it was the task of the chosen twelve, the apostles, to take on that message after Jesus ascended to heaven, it has become our task today to take this life-giving message to a lost and dying world. And let me remind you, God is not up in heaven wringing His hands like a nervous middle school girl waiting to see if the phone's going to ring, see if anybody's going to choose Him. Remember what we said about God's plans? God's plans will be accomplished. God's plan is that He's putting together from every tribe and tongue and people group from all over the world a special group of people called the church. The question is not, will God's plan be accomplished? The question is, will we get to be a part of it? We will get to be a part of it when we submit to His Lordship and we obey the mission that He's given us. Joshua's mission was to clear out the Promised Land and divide the land up among the twelve tribes. Our mission is to go and make disciples of all the nations. Just as Joshua had to give an account of his obedience one day all of us We'll give an account of our obedience or disobedience before the Father. Thirdly and finally, most importantly, the ultimate aim of all the Bible, including the book of Joshua, is the salvation of sinners through Jesus Christ. This book, the book of Joshua, is ultimately about Jesus. It's not just that Joshua and Jesus share a name, they do. It's not just that it means the Lord's salvation, and He showed that through their lives. That is true. But it's that Joshua of the Old Testament got to be the next chapter in God's eternal redemptive plan 
that he brought about through the person and work of his dear son. And dear friends, that tells us this, that everything that happens out there in the world today that seems disconnected and disjointed is not. Do you believe that God's just as in control today as he was in the day of Joshua? He is. And just as he brought everything about, it looked like it was out of control. After all, they were in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. It seems like God had given up on them. He had not. All of this was part of his plan. And though it took hundreds of years to unfold, ultimately it did in a little stable in a place called Bethlehem. And then Jesus lived a perfect life and he died on the cross and he ascended into heaven and he sent out his apostles and those that were converted through their preaching taught others and the next generation, the next generation, the next generation down to this good day. And you're here today because men and women who came before you were faithful to the Great Commission. And if the Lord tarries his second coming, the next generation will still be here when Christ comes because of our faithfulness to our commission. And so as you read the book of Joshua over the next eight weeks, as we study together, and I hope you'll make a commitment to be here as often as you can. Your hearts, your mind, your spirit is going to rejoice as you see the God of history be sovereign in all things. Let's pray and thank him for that. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for the book of Joshua. And just in studying it the last few weeks, I'm excited. I'm reminded that nothing happens outside of your control, that you often choose people that no one else would. You do that so that you'll get the glory. Father, had you chosen the wisest and the most able, if you had chosen the wealthiest and the most powerful, then the temptation would be to give man the glory. But you said in 1 Corinthians that you've chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And Father, I'm grateful that you chose us, sinners all. In we were yet dead in sins, you chose us. It's not because you saw potential within us. For your great name, you breathed spiritual life into us. You granted us repentance and faith, and, and we were born again. And Father, I pray you would continue to do that through the ministries of this church. Lord, we now are living our chapter of history as Joshua did. We see your hand in it. Father, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that you hold tomorrow, just as you held yesterday and today. So Father, we trust in you as we study through the summer, Lord. Grant us enlightenment. Teach us, Father, what you'd have us know about yourself, and we'll give you glory for whatever good happens. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.